and everybody has it back again. Don't take no mess at the rose garden. Jesus, they're on fire. They're what we desire. The men in black can handle it. Other teams can scrapple it. How they win that game today? There's just one thing you can say. How does Scotty shoot that three? Believe it, it ain't easy. How did Brian jump so sweet? Believe it, it ain't easy. It's the flying dot that's in your lap. Welcome back to the Rose Garden Report podcast. I am Sean Hyken, the author of the Rose Garden Report newsletter, which you can subscribe to at rosegardenreport.com. Free and paid subscriptions are available. You can subscribe to the podcast on YouTube. Make sure you go subscribe, do that, hit subscribe on YouTube. And then also from an audio standpoint, you can get it on the Odyssey app because we're part of the Odyssey family. And then uh, Apple, Spotify, all of that, subscribe, rate, review, do all that. I am really excited about the podcast that I've got for you today. Uh, the biggest news, obviously, in the Blazers world the past week has been the passing of Bill Shonley, obviously the Blazers' original play-by-play radio announcer, the mayor of Rip City, the guy that coined the term Rip City. And I wanted to get someone on who I think would be able to appropriately put in perspective a what he's meant to this franchise and b just how great he was at the actual job and i figured there would be nobody better to do that than the blazers current uh tv play-by-play guy kevin calabro who is a legend in the business in his own right going back to being the sonics radio guy in the 80s and then doing a lot of national stuff for espn he's you know, one of the legends of the, you know, the NBA broadcasting world kind of, you know, on his own, but even his career and reputation and legacy kind of pales in comparison to Bill Shonley. And so I figure he would be a good guy to bring on to do that. And so, you know, obviously Kevin and I know each other quite well. And so I, you know, I asked him to do it the other day and he said, yes. And, you know, we were able to just get this done. We just, I just wrapped up with him. It's, Great conversation, goes all sorts of different places. Obviously, there's a lot of talk about Bill Shonley and Kevin's own relationship with him going back to the late 70s when they first met each other. We get into kind of some of the technical and kind of be, like aspects of why Bill was as great as he was as a broadcaster from the perspective of somebody who is a very accomplished broadcaster in his own right. And then we also kind of get into some other stuff about, you know, how Kevin's approach to calling games has evolved over the years and, you know, his thoughts on kind of the current crew and, you know, working with Lamar Hurd and, you know, a lot of that different kind of stuff. And then from there, we also just get a little bit into the other major loss that the Blazers had over the past week. That would be John Curry, who was the longtime camera operator, who, unlike Bill Shonley, I actually knew quite well because he was always at you know every single thing every media scrum every everything he was one of the guys behind the camera and so he was somebody that I talked to a bit and you know over the years and everybody kind of had a relationship with him he's not nearly as much of a household name obviously as Bill Shonley because he was more of a behind the scenes guy but he was also a great guy and that was a huge loss for the organization so Kevin and I talked about that and then at the end we get into a little bit about 
the current team and the losing skid that they're on right now. They, they won the game against San Antonio the other night, but things I think everybody can agree are just not great right now with the team just overall for obvious reasons. And so Kevin and I get into some of that, kind of his view on like why they haven't been more consistent, what maybe needs to change as far as the rotations and all that kind of stuff. Kevin, Kevin's great. If you're listening to this, you obviously, you don't need me to tell you how great Kevin Calabro is at what he does. And this is a great conversation that we just had. So I'm really excited to give it to you now. Well, Kevin, I wish we were doing this under a little bit happier circumstances, but I figured you would be a good person to bring on to talk about Bill Shonley, which obviously that's kind of the biggest news in the Blazer world right now is his passing over the weekend at 93. So I appreciate you uh, coming on and doing that with me. Sure. So I guess going back to, do you remember the first time you ever met him or, you know, encountered him? I'm I'm assuming it was probably like when you were uh, with the Sonics in the eighties and he was still with the Blazers. Was that kind of the first time you. Yeah, we, we had a a number of inter, interchanges at that point but uh i go back to 1979 i just graduated from butler university in indianapolis and i was doing a what they called the pre and post game show which essentially was like a little 10 minute introduction to the game on the flagship station at wibc in indianapolis and uh you know i was just starting off and uh, it was kind of a part-time gig for me because i was like an overnight disc jockey at wibc at the time and but i followed professional basketball since you know, I was 10, 11 years old when the Indiana Pacers came to town in 1967 at the old Coliseum in Indianapolis. And, you know, I was really captivated by the game, loved the game, grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana, and, and knew all about the Portland Trailblazers and, and the Seattle Supersonics because we would get those. You'd never get the, the broadcasts out there of any West Coast games in, mm-hmm. in Indianapolis. It was always Philadelphia, Boston, New York, Chicago. Chicago Bulls, exactly. That was it. Um, maybe the Cincinnati Royals. Um, right. But uh, so I was fascinated with these teams because the uniforms looked different. The, the, the playing style was different. Everything about it was was different with those teams from the Northwest in the in the late 70s. So when uh, Bill came to town, you know, they were they were world champions uh, two two years removed, I guess it would be. And then uh, I was able to get an interview with him and, you know, stumbled down there and introduced myself and was really taken by, you know, just the presence of the guy, big voice, uh, looked you in the eye, gave you the firm handshake, the full head of white hair, silver hair, uh, and, uh, kind of a flamboyant style, which I really liked. Um, and, you know, we, uh, obviously at that time, the only way you would hear these, these great play-by-play voices is through bootleg tapes. <laughs> that you get in college, right? And a buddy would have, and you'd you'd copy the tape and pass it down and so forth. The reel to reel. These are reel to reel tapes. So I wait. So 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 it was like you know it was like I mean I guess like another Blazer connection because one of the other most iconic people in the organization is Bill Walton, who's a huge deadhead. So it's like so it's like it's like Grateful Dead bootleg like concert tape trading was like well, for, yeah, but, yeah. but for like sports broadcasts. Exactly, sports <laughs> or, or boss jocks as they were called at the time, disc jockeys and uh huh. You know, and, and Bill. In his development as a young announcer, spun records at some point. I mean, all guys did. Uh, right. I said guys because there were very few women in the business at that time behind the microphone. Uh-huh. It was just kind of the age we were in. But um, 
So I, you know, I, I think I kind of, I, I like to hope I appeal to him in that, just that five minute interchange we had is, you know, a young guy getting a start, uh, learning the business and, you know, I asked him several questions about his club and so forth. And he was, you know, he's forthcoming and great. Yeah. And that was the end of it. But I was, you know, I was trying to go back, rack my mind on, all right, when was the first time you really met Bill? And then fast forward, I actually did the Kansas City Kings in the uh, 83-84 season. It was two years before they moved to Sacramento and uh, ran into Bill again. And, uh, uh, you know, he claimed that he remembered me and you know, he, <laughs> he welcomed me into the league. And so it's forth. always, it's always fun when somebody who's like that big of a deal says yeah. they remember you. Cause you yeah, always, no, he, you're always just like, Oh, he's just trying to be nice. Like you don't actually know well, if it's, if it's... He, he wants you to feel at ease, you know, right. him and so forth. Cause he, you right. know, he, he kind of knows, you know, he's got some gravity there, a little gravitas yeah. and, uh, and you're to a degree or, you know, you're a little intimidated by his presence. So yeah, he was very good. He was, he was that way with everybody. I think that's what everybody remembers yes. about him is just the way that he put everybody at ease, uh, you know, when they were around. They knew he was the voice, uh, as I used to call him. I used to call him the voice. And I called the great Bob Blackburn the voice as well. You know, there's just something about being mm -hmm. an original voice of a team that uh, resonates with uh, fans and communities for years and years and years after these great voices of uh, have left the air. You know, that to me, that yeah. was... Uh, that, that was the value and uh, the intrigue of of, uh, of meeting Bill Walton. Or I, well, <laughs> well I Bill Walton same, also, but... <laughs> in the same way when I was around Bill Walton, uh, when, I, when I met Bill Shotley. Any of those... Yeah. When you meet any of those great iconic players, broadcasters, whoever it is, that you grew up watching as a kid, uh -huh. uh, you have that impression uh, of them. And and then when you meet them, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to describe. Yeah, Chick Hearn also with the Lakers, I'm sure, was oh yeah, one of those two. Yeah. Chick was uh you know, and I, I put him in that category with Bob Blackburn, uh Chick Hearn, Bill King. It was the great play by play voice of the Warriors for many years down in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Uh all the, hot rod Hunley at, at Utah, uh Hots was was phenomenal as well. I mean, these guys in my mind were sort of pioneers of uh, of, of sports broadcasting play-by-play. They're sort of second generation of the original guys like Marty Glickman, who was the original voice of the New York Knicks. You know, a lot mm -hmm. of people go back and the whole Syracuse group uh, identifies Marty Glickman as kind of the genesis for play-by-play -play out there. And then, of course, the Albert brothers with Marv and, and Steve Albert was a, just is a phenomenal announcer as well. And Al did a terrific job as in the NBA for a long time. So, you know, you put Bill into that category as well uh, and represented, of course, uh, uh, Portland, Oregon, the, the, the state of Oregon in the Northwest, you know, uh, in exemplary fashion around the league. Yeah. And then you started to, kind of, I guess, be around him a lot more once you took the Sonics job in the 80s because that those teams, you know, it's obviously yeah. the, the Portland-Seattle rivalry was a thing and those guys oh, would play, play each other several times a year. So oh, yeah. I'm assuming you just kind of got to know him a lot better then because you guys were just around each other a lot I, more. I did. I, I did. And, you know, Bill... Bill took on a different air at that point now mm -hmm. with me because now he saw me as a uh, and and graciously so saw me as a contemporary because now I'm I'm in the league it's 1987 I'm with the Sonics and I've established myself for a couple of years there Sonics uh, in that period of time were in transition and of course the Blazers were phenomenal in the early 90s going to the the World Championship two or three years and uh, you know just wreaking havoc on the West. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they were victimized, the Blazers or the uh, Sonics on several occasions. And uh, just remember when the, uh, the Sonics finally got a foothold there in the early uh, 
about 93 when they went to the conference finals and, and lost to the, uh, the Phoenix Suns and Charles Barkley with Gary Payton and Sean Kemp and uh, Detlef Shrimp and that group, Sam Perkins, you know, it was just a great group. Percy Hawkins would later join, join the group and always tremendous matchups against yeah. Terry Porter and Clyde and duck uh, Buck Williams, uh, that, that, that whole group, uncle cliff, um, uh, phenomenal competition. And Bill, of course, being the, the Uber blazer that he was would kind of give me, he kind of give me the cold shoulder a little bit on game days. You know, this was, this well, you're was the enemy. You were the other guys, <laughs> even the broadcasters, <laughs> the enemy. <laughs> and I, I, I kind of, I don't know, maybe I was uh, imagining things, but, uh, you know, we kind of wanted it that way, too. It just it made it more fun, I think, for for everybody when, the, you know, that rivalry really ratcheted up. And I know George Carl was the one that really instigated that. You know, he could he came in and I, I remember him saying publicly just to understand the kind of a, uh, the the affinity that the two cities had for one another. He wanted to get in there and stir things up. He wanted some vinegar. He wanted some salt, you know, and so they. Uh, they re-energized, I think it was the, um, it was a brewery and they had a cup that every year that the, the Blazers and the Sonics would, would, would vie for. So, um, uh, it's a local brewery. I can't recall offhand, but the I-5 rivalry, the point yeah. is, uh, it was stirred up, uh, once again, and it was very impassioned and everybody got involved, even Bill and me and Blackburn. <laughs> so let me ask you this as you know, you're coming up in kind of the broadcasting industry you know in the you know as you're saying like the late 70s early 80s it was kind of when you were first you know getting started coming up and obviously you know you were talking about like you had the different tapes that you were getting of different broadcasters and you know i assume bill was kind of one of the ones that people looked at as oh sure the, the standard what what well, i mean first, rip city come on rip city well was, right you know. when you when you coin when you coin a phrase like that that becomes like the phrase associated not just with a franchise but with a city but in your, you know, in your own, like, you know, professional opinion, I guess, as somebody who's been doing this for, you know, obviously you weren't doing this as long as, as long as Bill was, but you've been in the game for, you know, a minute at this point. Uh, what, like every, obviously every, you know, Blazer fan and every person that has like, you know, has their own experiences with Bill and listening to Bill kind of has their own like things that they love about him. But in your opinion, as you know, a fellow broadcaster and a very, you know, accomplished broadcaster yourself, what made him so great as a broadcaster? Like even taking like the personal stuff out of it, like just as a broadcaster, like why was he one of the best? Well, the voice was commanding and uh, for, for starters, I mean, you, that, the voice cuts through all the din of mm. the, the crowd and uh, the over amped the speaker system and everything that's going on in the gym. I mean, you can, you can hear that voice cut right through it uh, for starters. Uh, his uh, enunciation, uh, it was crisp. Uh, it, and, you know, he kept it simple. He kept it simple. Uh, not a lot of analytics, not a lot of numbers, uh, a description of what he was seeing in clear, clean, precise terms. Um, what he was feeling at the time, you could tell it, you can hear it in the voice. Thing about Bill, thing about really good radio guys, uh, and I consider myself a radio guy that's doing TV, um, is that you can hear the tone of the voice and tell where your team is at, how they're playing that night. I mean, within about 10 or 15 seconds, a really good guy, without hearing the score, 
anything in particular that would tip you off, you can hear the tone of his voice and you can tell, oh, you know, these, it's not a good night for these guys. You know, Bill's not feeling it tonight. Or, uh, you know, they, they're running away with this thing and he's just having a grand old time. He wouldn't, he wouldn't be at a, you know, he, he wouldn't be anywhere else at this point. The really good ones, uh, the ones that I've, I've told you about, you know, Bob Blackburn in Seattle and Bill King and uh, Chick Hearn in, in, in Los Angeles did a phenomenal job. Oh, my God. But, you know, Chick was uh, one of the best at that, listening to that tone of voice and you could tell what was going on. And then Bill would add those catchphrases of his uh, that would kind of intrigue, you know, the Cyclops or uh, taking it through the equator. And then you, you'd get to the court. and OK, I got it. I see that. I see that now. And so. You know, you wouldn't take on his terms necessarily, but you kind of come up with your own phrases. And, you you know, you do so many of these games that you come up with the catchphrases and terms for different locations on the floor, or, um, maybe nicknames of a player and so forth, you know, where you've shortened the name or you've, you've given him a, a, a nickname that the team has given him during practice or in some occasion of, of that nature. And it all draws the fans in and makes them feel like, yeah, we're at home, we're a part of this. Uh, he's our guy. Uh, he's going to be there every night for us uh, behind the microphone. And uh, we feel comfortable with him, you know, relaying the signal to us. That, that signal that's bouncing out over there over the airwaves it has always intrigued us and has been such a mystery. None of us could, none of us behind the microphone could tell you how that works. Uh, it just does. And yeah. uh, when it resonates with the fans, that's when you know, uh, you know, it's it's clicking for you. And, and Bill was, uh, he was one of the best. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... And you know he was he was still by the time you you said that this is how how many years have you been with the you 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 came over in what sixteen fifteen I came over in sixteen okay and he was still kind of around oh yeah the he organization was the Bill was uh, the ambassador you know until he retired last up until year. last year yeah. yeah I mean yeah and and so like what you know how what was you know kind of did you you know when you first came on like was he was he somebody you talked to before you took the job was he somebody that was like you know. He's one of the first guys who called me after I got the job, uh, welcoming me to to Portland and and to the and to the broadcast, uh, which meant a hell of a lot uh-huh. to me. Uh, it really did. Uh, when so many were doubting me at the time uh, here in the market, he was one of the first to reach out and uh, and and greet me, and uh, you know that that really resonated with me. It meant a great deal to me uh, because I hadn't. When you say I, doubting you, is it just because, like, you know, you think a lot of fans were like, oh, well, he's a Sonics guy. He's a Seattle guy. Why is he coming here? Was it, is that kind of what the... Correct. Yeah. Bill, Bill, of course, was a Seattle guy. Uh, yeah. So, and there have been several Seattle guys that have come to Portland and have been successful here, whether it be player, general manager, coach, owner, broadcaster. So, and Bill, uh, you know, to agree, let me know that. And, uh, <laughs> nice. But, but, and then, and then did he kind of, I'm, I'm sure he had like, you know, because he's, you know, been here from the beginning, he kind of, when you took the job was kind of telling you like, this is what you need to, you know, you know, he had some probably insights for you about, uh, well, the organization and about, you know, no, the not, fan base that he's sharing you that stuff with you or not really. Uh, what he did share with me is he always felt like he still had the juice and he wanted to do games. Right. Like he still wanted, I mean, he's, so at this point, he's 85 years old, and he felt uh-huh. like he, he still wanted to do some games. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know that's that was that was difficult, uh, obviously, for him. Um, it, it always is when you're doing something you really love and you have a great passion for, and you think you're hitting it out of the park, and the fans are asking you about it, and you're going to the grocery store here in Lake Oswego, or you're 
you're in Portland having dinner uh, downtown, and people are asking, you know, you know, why aren't you on the mic any, anymore? That's yeah, it's hard to explain when you don't have an explanation. So, um, I I was, but I was always happy to be in his presence when he was the ambassador at the game, and I would always tell him, you know, you mean a lot just being out here, uh, being a part of it. Uh, I know this is not calling games, but you know, just to be in the arena is just a blessing to be, you know, in my mind, to be affiliated with an NBA team in any way. Uh, you know, and if you're out there representing and you're on the court, it, it did mean a lot to us and to the players and I know to the coaches to see him out there, you know, greeting us, shaking the hands, coming by, saying hello. Usually he would come over to me and lean in and go, don't screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, tra Travis uh, Demers talks about this all the time, that he refuses to let himself be called the voice of the Portland Trailblazers because, in his opinion, there's only one person that ever can well, actually have that title. You, you know, the thing is, though, you've got to assume that, and I understand uh, Travis's humility, and he's a terrific young talent. He uh, is, yes. And, but he will, I think learn to know that, uh, you know, he, he represents the organization. He's got to wear the mantle now. You know, the baton has been passed. Brian Wheeler was a phenomenal, yeah. I mean, a, one of the greatest radio guys I've ever heard. Um, and unfortunately, his health situation caught up to him. God love him. I'm still in contact with him. He How's he doing? I haven't talked to him. Well, he's, he's been in and out of the hospital, unfortunately, uh -huh. and uh, had, a, had a spell at home for about 10 days, and now he's back in the hospital. So he's, you know, he's trying to get get himself uh, situated and, yeah. and get, get the weight under control and the other health issues that he has. Uh, but he's in great spirits. Every time I talk to him, he's, he's upbeat, he's positive. He's laughing, telling me a, a story. Yeah. Um, I should reach out to him. I haven't talked to him in a Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. He watches all the broadcasts. Uh, he's, I mean, he's nails on the, on the team and he knows what's going on and the inside yeah. and so forth. And, uh, you know, he was he was around for better than two decades uh, following Bill Shanley, which had to be yeah extraordinarily tough to follow that act. Well, uh, he was more my like because I was I would Bill's last year as the full time broadcaster was what, 92, 93, 90, I thought. OK, it was so it was like and, and see, I, so I was born in 89. So like, yeah. My like wheels oh, was wow. much wheels yeah. was much more my childhood right. memories right. of you know growing up here and watching games on TV, listening to games on the radio. Like that was wheels was much more my well and you know era and than look, Sean Lee. And we were talking about what makes a what what makes these guys great. Uh, and wheels had those same attributes. Yes, uh, big voice, uh, tremendous command of the language, uh, the articulation. He. Uh, and a short phrase could give you a real indication as to where the team's at, how they're playing, without giving the score again. He falls into that category as well. Hear the tone of his voice. Wheels is up. Wheels is down. Wheels is sideways yeah. with the team. So you knew. So Portland's been, been blessed with some terrific uh, announcers over the years yeah. uh, that have rolled in here. You know, when you consider the, the analyst, Steve Jones, just sort of, a remarkable job for all those years. Yeah, uh, Eddie Doucette, who was on TV uh, when when Sean decided to go back to radio, and Eddie uh, did the TV side. Eddie Doucette is a he's an iconic voice as well out of Milwaukee. You know, and, who turned that uh, that big shot of, of Kareem's the yeah. skyhook uh, when he was in Milwaukee. So even Lamar right now, I think, is one of the best. Oh, well, Lamar hurt. Yeah. I, He's one of the best I've worked with. I work with a lot of, I mean, a lot of analysts. And he's 
uh, top two or three in my book, without question, without yeah. question. You know, great command of uh, of basketball knowledge, uh, obviously. Yes. Um, just in terms of X's and O's, uh, the rules, um, the presentation is is excellent. Um, his his humor is terrific. It shows great compassion on the floor, uh, on the microphone for uh, the players that are on the floor and the coaches and has a true understanding of players only type understanding, I think of, you know, what they're going through and so forth. And uh, yeah, he's, he's come a long way in a very short period of time. Uh, you know, I did some games with him on the PAC 12 network and I could tell then he was going to be pretty good. Um, it, I'll tell you a quick story about Lamar when after the, uh, after Paul Allen had made a decision to move on and change uh, the broadcast, and uh, Mike and Mike were no longer with the broadcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and they reached out to me to ask if I'd be interested in talking to them. And then I took the opportunity with the Blazers. We then were faced with a situation. All right, who can we put in that other seat? And uh, it never, and I'm, I'm ashamed to say this, but it just never occurred to me that Lamar Hurd would be the guy. And the reason was I was so stuck into the old thinking of it's got to be an an ex-NBA name, Mm -hmm. a name guy, or it's got to be a coach who's, you know, bounced from job to job and now is in broadcasting, has probably had two or three broadcasting jobs. So we were looking at those types of people and – you know, no one wanted to. Well, no one wanted to make the commitment to do all 82 games. We had a kind of a patchwork where you could put three or four different guys together. And but you you don't want to do that. You want to have it be consistent. You don't want to do that. I mean, I've done that before. We did that in Seattle for a number of years, and you get you know a variety of voices, and all these guys are good, but none of them really want to make the commitment to the broadcast and to do the broadcasting, and, and more importantly, uh, to the community to come stay in the community, work in the community, do the other things that you you know, you, you need to do. And um, to their credit, I think it was Jeff Curtin uh, was contact, our director of broadcasting was was a contact, or maybe Dan Hyatt, our producer, by, by Lamar and his people. And we got him in and uh, they put Lamar and I in a booth uh, at Moda and set us down. And we did, uh, I think it was the Warriors and the Cavs, the championship, uh, the world championship that had, happened that summer in the summer of 16, which by the way, I had done on radio on ESPN radio with UB Brown. So he and I did the game. We did a recreation. We did about 15 minutes. And I remember Dan Hyatt getting on the microphone, uh, our feedback to us and saying, Hey, that was terrific. Well, you want some more? No, we can do some more here. No, no, no. I think we got it. I've seen enough. You could hear it in his voice. So, you know what, you know what that kind of reminds, that kind of reminds me of, this is obviously like a totally different level of, you know, that type of thing. But I remember the the story of, uh, I think this was on Woj's podcast years ago. He had uh, Sonny Vaccaro, the former uh, sneak, the, you know, the longtime sneaker executive, yeah. who's like one of the, you know, influential guys kind of in that end of the business. And he was talking about how in the early uh, 2000s, somebody sent him a VHS tape of like, you know, there's this kid in high school in Ohio who might be the next, uh, you know, <laughs> might be the next, you know, the next hot yeah. prospect. And then it was, so he was sent like a VHS tape of like a St. One St. Vincent St. Mary's yeah. game. He watched one quarter and he's like, okay, I've seen enough. I don't need to watch any more of this. 
Well, you know, the thing is, they could have looked at the uh, they could have looked at any of those Pac-12 tapes that he didn't. And, and, and how many and, of those yeah. games did you guys do together? The that's why. I, that's why I say I'm just so ashamed that you know realize that and now looking back, like you know, it never it never even occurred to me. So you really have to broaden. Uh huh. Your, your uh, you know taught me a lesson. Hey, we're all learning. Uh, yeah. You know, if you stop learning, you you, you know you're not going to advance. But yeah. Um, yeah, I. I, I, how many games I did, I, you know, I don't know, probably half dozen games, you know, because that was the thing about the PAC 12. You never had a, 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 you never had the same producer, director, crew, analyst, nothing. Uh, you're just, you're just kind of bouncing. And, but it was a great experience. I think Lamar would tell you a phenomenal experience. Uh, and to this day, we have, you know, he has many friends. I've got friends there at PAC 12 network as well. They did, they did a great job with what they had. Um, so, after after we get this tape put down, uh, they presumably send it immediately to Paul Allen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and we got the okay, uh, no comment. Uh, so just said, yeah, this is this is it. This is Lamar's our guy. Right. And of course, Brooke Olsendam had been here, uh, I think, two years previous to that, doing some other projects. They moved her up into that role as the the sideline reporter, and she has been phenomenal as yes. well. The way she has fit. Uh, so I, I really was blessed in that first swing of things coming out here, uh, down to Portland to do the, to the broadcast on television, to be blessed with, uh, you know, just terrific people around me, uh, whether it be, uh, you know, Brooke or Lamar or, uh, our producer, Dan Hyatt, or our director, uh, Jeff Curtin and, and the crew, of course, is, is phenomenal. Uh, they were, they were always known around the league, the broadcasting crew here in Portland as being cutting edge uh -huh. uh, because they would travel they travel any number of people uh, camera people uh, technical people and so forth i mean it was a it was a caravan uh, that they would they would travel uh, the only other team that i can recall doing those types of things were the uh sue stratton who was the longtime producer of chick hearns broadcast in la they would always bring a big group as well of technical people and uh handheld camera people and so forth um, so it was, you know, it was, it was a big deal. It was a big deal, uh, to land down here in Portland, what I did. Well, I think part of that is also just that the Blazers are one of the handful of teams. I don't know how many there are off the top of my head. It has to only be two or three that actually own their own broadcast and don't just like contract that part of it out to the regional sports network. Like they actually, all that stuff is in house. So that might be why they travel so many people. Yep, Let me ask you this, like, and that's, and that's probably why that they, they don't do it as much anymore is because imagine the cost. It's the overhead, right? I mean, that's, that's why there was the whole thing. And I'm not going to make yep. you talk about this, but there was the whole thing this summer where they were maybe not going to send you guys on the right. road at all. And then that like, uh, yeah, but I, I, one more thing on the current broadcast, then I want to get back to Bill a little bit, but how has it been for you with, you know, th this year they've introduced uh, Corey Jez, the analytics kind yeah. of analyst insider into the broadcast to kind of give some of the more advanced, like, how has that been? You know, you're a, you know, you've been around the NBA a long time. You, you know, obviously did it a certain way for a long time and, you know, right. incorporating that kind of stuff and like these second spectrum numbers that he's putting out there and some of the visual stuff, that's right. got to be kind of new for you as somebody who's been in the business for decades. How has that been for you? Uh, like that adjustment and kind of that. God, here's my spotting chart. For those of you who are listening to this on audio, Kevin's holding up uh, like a, like a, it's a totally old school, like sheet of old, notes about. Oh yeah. Old, old is the, old is the word. It's an old manila envelope. Is what uh -huh. it is. Legal size that I do all my notes on. Yeah. Um, 
But I tell you, you know, the great, the great Marv Albert, you see Marv show up for a game. He's got scraps of notes. He's got notebooks. He's got everything is handwritten. I did a game once with Marty Glickman. Yeah. Who, again, is supposed to be like the originator of all this stuff that we do on radio play-by-play for basketball. Syracuse University, the old New York Knicks, the great Marty Glickman, a tremendous voice. Uh-huh. We're doing an NCAA game. This is like 19... 19- 8081. I'd gotten some freelance work with Learfield Communications, and they have sent me to Tennessee to do a tournament game. Big deal. It's a big deal. Doing an NCAA tournament game. And they are playing, they're playing two games that afternoon in Tennessee. And I do the first. And then in the second, I'm supposed to keep stats for Marty Glickman. So he, he hears my broadcast and he gives me a few pointers, which was terrific. And then he he whips out his stat sheet. <laughs> which was a note, a piece of notebook paper with the names written by hand on both columns, height, weight, year, number. That was it. He had no stats. And I asked him about that. And he said, you know, on radio, we're, we're describing the smell of the popcorn. Mm-hmm. Um, what's going on at the bench, the interchange between player and coach, the screen and roll, the basics of what's going on on the floor. He says, I don't want to be encumbered with all that other stuff, he said, which was interesting because I thought, yeah, assist to turnover ratio would be kind of nice to talk about. Something as basic as that. So you're always, the point of that story is you're always building. You're always building on what the other guy has done before, what has worked great for him, what has sounded, you know, how can I make that a little bit better? And I think that's what, you know, what Corey adds to the broadcast is, you know, I, he said, you know, the days of just looking at the box score, he says, are over. Uh, I remember the, our first meeting I had with Corey, you know, you just, just don't look at the box score. You know, we've got to look at some other things. Now there's, you know, certain things in the box score you, you have to relay, I think, to fans without question. But his point was, and it was well taken by me, it resonated was, you know, they're just numbers within those numbers that tell us even more give us even more context about what's happening on the floor so that's what we're trying to do when Corey does his presentation every night on the broadcast is just give us a little more context a little more texture a little more understanding of the trends and and things that are happening in front of us from a a numerical standpoint yeah did you kind of going back to sean lee for a a minute did you get kind of towards the end of his you know life and his time here as an because obviously he had his like big retirement ceremony at the last game of uh last season kind of towards the end did you get the sense because you were you were just saying a little bit earlier that uh he would always tell you hey don't screw this up and he would always kind of be a little bit hard on you did you kind of get the sense well, towards the end that he was that he he thought you were you know doing the job justice and doing you know he was he he liked the job <laughs> He went out. Well, no, I mean, Bill wasn't throwing me bouquets or anything, which is fine. I, uh-huh. yeah, that's cool. I, you know, I, that you was, know, that deep down the respect was there and sure. the respect was, that's all I needed. But yeah. no, when he would lean in and say, don't screw it up. That was the respect. That's right. exactly what I needed to hear was don't screw. <laughs> it was like, make your free throws. Don't screw it up. Right. No, he, uh, he was always very gracious. You know, he, he'd, he'd always come in with some sarcastic comment about the team or the opposition or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, he still kept up with everything. Oh, with and I, and I have to say, I only, I only ever had a handful of conversations with him over the years. I didn't know him that well, but like, yeah. you know, he would be, you know, he would always be, I've only been back here since, you know, 17. I was in Chicago before that, but I've only been back here for like, what, five, six years now. So, but he was always kind of be around and, 
physically obviously you know by the end you know you could tell that his health was kind of declining he was walking with a cane all that kind of yeah. stuff you could tell that he was the age that he was but right up until not only just like every conversation i ever had with him in the media room but right up until that last day of last season when he had the big ceremony and then he gave a little press conference for us beforehand I found him mentally to be just as sharp as he ever was. Like that part of it yeah. never really went away at all, even right. right right up to the end. No, he was uh, he was lucid. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, and his mobility, of course, that right uh, that that was an issue. He had the hip. I think Kerry Eggers was telling me that he had the hip replacement done in October, and that's just because the pain was just uh, yeah. excruciating. And then I don't think that ever abated either, the pain. Uh, I was able to go over and see him, actually, a couple of weeks before he passed. And uh, he was bedridden at the time. But right. Dottie told me that he could get up, you know, occasionally. But for the most part, she was – and Kevin, the caretaker, was having to take care of him as well. And um, uh, he – but he <laughs> – I remember he was he was just kind of laying there napping and I walk in and I didn't want to disturb him. And right. so I sat there and he, he woke up. He knew somebody was in his presence. He woke up and and, you know, um, we started talking Blazer basketball. You know, it's you wanted to talk hoops and he was still know. watching. He was still up on everything. Absolutely. You know, what do you what do you think of the club? What do we need to do? You know, yeah. what's, what's next? What, what happens? You know, that type of thing. So. It was good. And then he'd, he'd doze off and I'd walk out, talk to Dottie a little bit and then go back in. So I, you know, I had about a 15 minute visit with Bill and um, I knew that was more likely going to be the last time I'd see him. So yeah. that was, that was, that was rough, but yeah. you know, it's my mom's 93 and she's still doing extremely well. She's lucid that's and great. so forth. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's, that's just unfortunate. You know, the, the, the mind is still sharp as can be, but yeah. the, you know, the body's just given, given away around you. Yeah, when some when when somebody gets to be that age, you kind of just know that he lived. Look, he lived a full full life. Absolutely, I don't think he has any regrets about anything. And I'm also I'm also really glad that he decided to retire officially when he did, and they did the ceremony for him, and he was able to get that happening to have that happen for him while he was still alive, and not you know us talking about like oh you know he died, and then we should have done something like this for him. Like yeah. I'm gl- I'm gl- I'm glad that he got to see that. I'm glad that got to happen. No, he was still around. kudos to the organization and ownership and and everybody buying in on that and putting that together. And Todd Bosman, you know, who, who yeah. does a lot of that stuff, all the stuff in. Those guys do such a good job with everything. They did a great the job best. with Dame's, you know, scoring record. The a few weeks ago. Like, and, you know, and and Lamar, you know, talking about Lamar Hurd, he was the one that uh, uh, introed and and emceed. Uh, Both of those things, yeah, and, he's and so it good just with did that, an yeah. incredible job of uh, introducing uh, Damian Lillard after he had broken the, the scoring mark uh, mm-hmm. and and uh, doing that terrific impromptu uh, introduction of of Dame. So yeah, uh, yeah, you know, you, boy, you just run into so many talented people when you're doing these broadcasts and you're being around the arena. It's just it's kind of overwhelming when you think about it. It really is, and another one of those guys that I want to talk about a little bit i mean this is i realize this is going to be kind of a downer podcast but it's been kind of a downer (laughs) in the blazers organization you know on and off the court but uh somebody that you know i i knew quite well and you knew as well being part of the broadcast team that probably a lot of people who aren't on our end of the industry don't know as much as they know bill is john curry who passed away uh 
about a week ago very unexpectedly that was like 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 we were saying with bill you know he was 93 we all kind of knew he wasn't doing great health wise we all kind of were braced for that one but the thing with john curry that was just completely out of nowhere and you know you're starting to see all this stuff like the organization did a moment of silence for him before the spurs game the other night and he was a guy that you know you're gonna you know you hear a lot of stuff about like he was just always the nicest guy never missed a day of work and he was always you know he was the for those of you who don't know he was the one of the camera operators and he had been with the organization for almost 40 years and just everybody knew him and he you know he would always talk to anybody was just one of those guys that like was nice to everybody and was just great to talk to i'm i'm just you know i want i want i want to bring i wanted to bring him up too camera six uh four camera four i'm sorry yeah it was four down down on the baseline Uh uh-huh uh right next to the goal stanchion where all the action happens where everyone is running into you uh night after night and that was the last time i talked to curry was after uh Oh, geez, one of those home games. Maybe it was the Mavericks game. Uh, yeah. He, he just got hammered. Uh, and you could see the welt on his face. <laughs> you know, the eyepiece had, like, hit him. And, and, but, yeah, yeah. He, somehow these guys. That was, like, a nightly thing for him, though. Oh, it's a nightly thing. And he's been doing it for 39 years. And, like, all the all the shots he's taken over the years, you know. Uh-huh. It's, uh, at some point, I'm going to ask the guys. Maybe they've got it out there. I haven't seen it. But just to put together a uh, – a collection of the the curry hits i mean because he took some shots down there i mean they all these guys do and it's it's remarkable the way that they are able to to bob right you know it's almost like they're on a a little bouncy ball there they just bounce straight back up and they they somehow get themselves together for the next shot and they get it done uh but that was the last time i talked to him i was like man that was a, that was a doozy <laughs> he just laugh you know but he was always at the arena before anybody uh, you know, the crews get there hours and hours in advance. And he would always have that camera set up uh, in the media room where you and I and all the media go yeah. hear both coaches. And he's, you know, he's got that thing set up. And uh, and then he does the post and he does the whole game and then does the post game stuff as well when they bring the players and the coaches and everyone in. So, uh, yeah, I didn't really get to know John that well. Um uh, but I always appreciated the work that he did and the interchanges that I had with him. And I know it just, it, it just took the heart out of our crew. Uh, yeah. So, you know, there, that, those last two games were, were tough. I mean, the Laker loss for obvious reasons, for right? everybody, that was just such a downer. And then of course, you know, we we wanted to do the presentation well and, we present, uh, did the presentation for bill, uh, on that, that night, the Blazers played the Lakers and uh, and covered the Curry story as well, and then devoted. I thought it was great that the I guys think it was the right way, way decided to then yeah. to devote a whole nother program to to John Curry. Yeah. So while I've got you, I know you've got a little production meeting to get to at noon, but switching to some on court stuff for a little bit. What what do you think is kind of responsible for this tailspin that the Blazers are in right now as somebody uh, who knows a team better than probably anybody? Boy, it's and you're hearing this every night, Sean. Uh, yeah. It's a combination of things. How many times have we heard that? Uh, oh yeah, from Chauncey every night, from you know, you just, every night. I, I think to me it boils down to consistency on the defensive end. And to me it it so much depends on the consistency of a couple of key players on that defensive end. 
Uh, and there is such a, you know, just a fine line between them being uh, defensively not excellent, but just good and right. efficient and just completely fallen off. And I don't think they've quite got the sweet spot yet. The fact that the Blazers bench was thin to begin with and then has been decimated, had been decimated by injuries and still do degree with Justice Winslow being out. I mean, you can't tell me that LeBron is going to be as effective as he was with those straight line drives scoring 16 points in the third quarter against the Blazers if you've got a 6'6", 225-pound defender and Justice Winslow out on the floor as an option, right? Right. But that's how thin they are. Um, but now they're getting GP2 back, and he's starting to operate a little bit. Nasir Little looks sensational, showing confidence out on the floor. I think you could make a campaign for more minutes for Nasir Little. I think that's within the realm of possibility. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, I'm looking at his last five back since he missed 21. He's at 16, 12, 17, 13, and 17 minutes. I think you can make a real case for him playing in the mid-20s yeah. the way he's been playing. Uh, and with the kind of uh, tenacity and now confidence that he's bringing out on the floor after, you know, getting past those injuries. So uh, I think I think Yusuf Nurkic has got to he, – he's got to be more consistent. He's got to be more active. Uh he, less emotional, less uh, encumbered by what the officials are doing out on the floor, and less distracted and be focused on playing the defense as hard as you can for 26 minutes. And when setting a screen, it's not always important to get a piece of somebody. The fact that you're 300 pounds and you're the size of a car out there, people still have to avoid you. You don't need to move. Keep, keep yourself solid. You know, he's taken one or two of those calls a game, and it really hurts him. Uh, it hurts a club for him not to have a presence on the floor. Although Eubanks has played tremendously coming off the bench behind him and gives him a, a you know, a different dimension. Um, but, you know, when you're facing guys like Jokic and Embiid, it's, it's incumbent on uh, number 27 to keep himself on the floor as long as he possibly can and play as hard as he possibly can. Um, <clears throat> I think he's in good shape. I, you know, I, he's got great intentions. He's got a terrific heart just needs to be play smarter because so much depends on him defensively. So, um, and I love Nurk. Um, yeah. I really do. I know, you know, he's got some dis detractors, but I, I, I love his game. I'm kind of an old school type guy. I think this, I think the Lillard uh, Nurkic screen and roll is bread and butter. And uh, I think the Blazers are starting to blend more and more of that in. And mm -hmm. I would welcome that because Dame's free throws are 127 free throw attempts in January, uh, the most in the NBA. His previous record was 150 in 2016, his personal record, club record, 150 free throws in a month. Well, they're good. They've got like three or four more games that month, so I, or this month, so I think it's probably. He's, but the point being, he's going to the rack, and he gets there and getting those drives, getting into the paint effectively with this big 300-pounder setting screens in the middle of the floor or on the side, and, and he's barreling in there to the rim, so. You know, I, I think Chauncey's, like Chauncey said in the last game, hey, we're still learning one another. And that's the other thing. You know, these guys have had really one full camp together, this this group. They've had so many different players that have rolled through here now, and it's just year and a half. Uh, and as he pointed out, and I hadn't even thought about this, maybe you had, but he, the other night, he said, you know, I'm, I'm the coach with the least amount of head coaching experience in the NBA, you know, I, or, or coaching experience coaching for that matter, in the yeah. NBA with just the one year with, uh, you know, with the Los Angeles Lakers. I mean, you've got Will Hardy coming in tonight with Utah, 
who's 34 years old, and he is the youngest head coach in the NBA. But he's been, he's been with the Spurs for San Antonio. Like 12 he's years, done. and then he was with Boston, yeah. Exactly. So, you know, that, that that just gives you some context into, you know, where we're at right now with, with the learning curve. And, the, and, and Chauncey uh, has been accountable for, you know, when things have not gone well on the floor, and he's been a part of that. Uh, he's been accountable and, and was the other night as well. So, yeah. Yeah, it's you know twenty two and twenty five, and uh, with Damian Lillard having the kind of year he's having, with Simons and Grant uh, scoring better than twenty a game, some big decisions obviously about impending free agency to Grant and Harden and so forth. Yeah, that uh, it almost feels like this year's at a crossroads here in the next five six ball games for the Blazers. What have you made of Shaden Sharp so far? Well, he's electrifying for starters. Uh, I think that jump shot's solid, uh, and uh, you know he he flies over people, flies through people, can slither and get to the rim and so forth. You know he obviously has uh, defensive uh, issues, and all 19 year olds that are new to the league do. Uh, that's just a learning curve, uh, and you've got to uh, learn through playing. You know he's getting what 19 minutes a night now, and he's played in 45 games. So I think defensively, he's obviously got a long way to go. Uh, he still needs to, I think, uh, develop several counters, uh, when he, you know, throws a move at a guy and, and they move their feet and they get into position to defend. He's wondering now, all right, now what? Now he's able because of his crazy athleticism sometimes to get himself out of those jams, but you know, he's going to have to develop that obviously is that second, that third move to the counter, uh, defensively. And, uh, but he's an extraordinary player in my view. Uh, just because of the athleticism and the ability to shoot the three. I mean, that's just a, that's an awesome. Especially when he doesn't hesitate. I like, I, this is something I've been saying the whole season is when he gets the ball on the perimeter, he needs to, because his jump shot is so mechanical. So like he needs to just let it fly, but like too much, I think he'll, you know, get the ball and then he'll hesitate or like he'll dribble into a little bit worse shot. That's not just him that does that. Like, Obviously, there's been a lot of focus lately on Josh Hart needing to just shoot more, but Shaden in particular, like his shot is just so smooth. He needs to just get, get it and just and just go up with it. And I think yeah. the team, even though he's a rookie, I think the guys on like Dame and Chauncey, I think everybody kind of feels that way too, is that when he's got a shot, they want him to just take it. I think I've not asked him about this. Uh, and it's a question I should ask him. Now that you and I are talking about it. Mm-hmm. Is the 19-year-old, he's brand new to the what's going on. He's, you know, he's seeing Damian Lillard the six-time All-Star, six-time All-NBA. He's seeing Anthony Simons, who's, you know, an extraordinary shooter. Yeah. And he's playing with one or the other uh, at some point on the floor, and I just think he's deferring. That would be my simple explanation, uh, whether it be consciously or subconsciously. He's def- he's thinking maybe he's got better luck here, you know. More likely, he's the well, guy. Just, that, his place on the hierarchy is not. Just, just yeah, there. and and I think I think he'll quickly shed that uh, that, uh, hesitancy, uh, without, without any doubt, hopefully sooner, you know, rather than later. Yeah. Well, I mean, the crazy thing is if they go three and O on the rest of this homestand, they've got, you know, the West recording- is wacky, man. I did. It really is like, we're, rec- we're recording this a few hours before the Utah game tonight. And then they've got Toronto who I know they lost to a couple weeks ago, but that's a, you know, below 500 team in the East. That should be theoretically a winnable game. And then Atlanta has been up and down and they've had kind of their own issues with, that organization those are three games they should be able to win theoretically on paper if you go three and oh you're back at 500 at the end of the month and then you know you're 
you have the one more three game road trip and then you got five more games at home before the all-star break like theoretically like as much as like it feels like the sky is falling right now with just how how badly things have gone over the last couple of weeks they're and still they, and they've gone badly they so, have got they've gone they've gone very badly and like I mean, that's five and twelve since losing those games to Oklahoma City on December twenty first. Everybody points to the Laker game as being. I think the Oklahoma City game is the are the two you have to you have to and I know yeah. I know Oklahoma like Oklahoma City is not and this is something I have to keep like explaining to people. Oklahoma City is not in the same tier as like detroit or san antonio or houston or charlotte or the teams that are actively like trying to lose games right now oklahoma city is not like talent wise they're not on the level of a lot of the teams that people expect to make the playoffs but like shea gildas alexander is having an all nba type of year right now they've got like they've got guys like josh giddy's having a good year trey mann's having a good year that team's well coached gives us issues yeah Uh, yeah yeah yeah. is a phenomenal jayla wins santa clara one one of the two yes yeah santa clara (laughs) But like Great that's point. a team they've Isaiah got guys Joe, Isaiah Joe yeah. coming off the bench shooting yeah. threes like yeah. wicked hot um, yeah but those, you still got to get one of those two you got to split you got to get split. one of those two and I, I think I think that's when it kind of snowballed well, and started to spiral a little bit and the defense was horrible uh, I don't know how else to put it um, straight line drive Shea Gilgis Alexander you know where he's going he doesn't shoot threes he's going downhill he's getting into the paint and it just wasn't happening for the Blazers so. Yeah, to me, I go back to that. They're they're five and twelve since losing those games to Oklahoma City on the twenty first, and then three and five since coming back from the zero and three uh, Indiana Toronto trip. You know, yeah. you, you got to get you got to pluck one of those. So it leaves you where you are, Sean. To your point, where you're now only four games back. Check that. Only two games back of sixth. And the Dallas Mavericks, who aren't exactly lighting the world on fire, they dropped another one last night, despite Luca getting what he get last night, 40? Something so, like that. And they lose a ball game. Um, it, it's it's there. And that's you know, that's the frustrating part, obviously, for a guy like Damian Lillard, obviously, and uh, any of these guys, is you're so darn close. If you can just put something together uh and sustain it for a while. You know, you're right there in the mix, and now suddenly everything's popping and the mood is lifted. And that's why tonight, to me, this is a big game. This is a really good Utah team, solid team, uh, coached by a, maybe a, a, a terrific young coach who's going to get, I think, uh, some consideration for coach of the year. I don't think he'll get it. It's him or Mike Brown, I think. But but, and and they've done an excellent job too in Sacramento. Uh, but uh, with Laurie Markinen, who's who could be. Uh, uh, you know, on the all-star, well, he's going to be all star definitely yeah. be in the all-star, but it's going to be on one of those all NBA teams as well. I think so. Uh, uh, Conley is back. Did not play in the last game. Neither did Dame. So, I mean, this game really takes on to me again, big time importance. Uh, and, and you get this one and then you, I, I don't know. A lot of people don't believe in momentum and, and, and the old Mo and so forth. But I, I do, I believe that uh, you start to feel better about things. You're going to get a couple of days to rest, recuperate, practice, fine-tune after you presumably get a win tonight and then roll in this weekend against Toronto and then uh, with Atlanta before you go on the road again. So it all sets up right there for them. But we said that before the Laker game. <laughs> yep, and then, I mean, I, and then, you know, they were talking about this the other night uh, that, af- you know, after the San Antonio game that, 
it's so hard when you have that type of collapse. You're up 25. You literally set a franchise record for scoring margin victory in a quarter in the second quarter, and you somehow lose that game by nine. It's really hard to then the next day come back and oh. be able to just kind of put that in the rear view and the fact that they were able to do that against San And I know San Antonio is like one of the worst teams in the league, but that's still like they have NBA players on that team, and they obviously have one of the best coaches in history. Like it's not like that's a game they easily could have dropped and they didn't. Yeah, there's, I mean, those guys over there are still getting paid. That's what I always yes. say. And uh-huh. they were hitting threes, lights out, and uh, 74 points at half. And you're thinking, holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> and then they started They started to separate themselves in the third. But, yeah, it, got, it was kind of dicey there at the beginning. And that's why, like, what you were talking about with, like, the defense being need, needing to be more consistent, in the Laker game and the Philly game, I thought their defense was fine. And it was just the offense that, like, could not get anything going, especially in the second half yeah. of the Laker game. But, like— it's easier said than done to say you can't allow LeBron James to go downhill. Well, right. yeah. But again, you don't have Winslow. Uh, and he's been going downhill uh-huh. for 20 years. <laughs> and averaging 27 a game. So you knew that was coming at you. But you can't let Thomas Bryant go 30-plus and 14-plus rebounds and shoot 85-plus from the field. That can't happen. You just, you can't allow that to happen. It's always one guy like that. Like in one, in one of those Dallas games, Reggie Bullock, who was shooting like 30% from three hits like eight threes or something. Yeah. He's done done that before. He's been a good shooter in his career, but like, it's, it's all, it's it's just so fitting that like against Portland, one of these guys will always just like rediscover the top, like Thomas Bryant going for 31 is like that, that. No, it's, the thing was, though, he did that against Sacramento earlier in the month. Uh, I was pouring through the notes like, it, it, this has got to be an anomaly. Nope. He had yeah. done it one other time. Uh, gone 30 or better, 14 or I think it was 14 plus rebounds and 85% or more from the field. And only three other guys, two other guys uh-huh. in the history of the franchise, Shaq and Kareem. Uh, no, and I'll throw in Wilt had ever done that. So Thomas Bryan, hats off to you. Uh, the Lakers are now becoming the Wizards of the West now that they've acquired Rui Hashimura. I heard that one yesterday, and it, it kind of resonated with me. Well, yeah. it's him. It's him. Brown. Uh, Troy Brown Jr.'s there. And Westbrook. Uh, Westbrook. Westbrook. And, Scott Brooks, and Scott Brooks was the coach of that Wizards team the year that they, they won the play-in and got into the, in, into, the, uh, into the playoffs. And it was the one year that Westbrook, I guess, was there with Hashimura. So there was talk that, you know, maybe he can – he can draw him out into, into becoming a player that, you know, so far we have not seen. So we'll yeah. see. But I thought that was an interesting side note, nonetheless, to a Blazer podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And on that note, I know you've got a production meeting to get to in a few minutes, so I'll let you go. I really appreciate you doing this, Kevin. My pleasure, Sean. We'll see what uh, the next few weeks bring. It should be interesting. Yeah, I'll see you in a couple hours. Okay, man. Thanks.